to Unfuck the Poor, episode 20, the epilogue. A lot has happened since I both wrote Unfuck the Poor in 2020 and recorded it as a podcast and audiobook in 2021. As we approach 2022, I look back on what I've written and recorded and, considering contemporary events, I feel I can only double down on the dire need for individual and collective action. Everything I have written about has mutated into something worse. For example, on the issue of Amazon workers seeking dignified working conditions and unionization, we have since been privy to audio of employee-employer confrontations during Amazon's captive audience meetings on unionization. Those meetings are filled with corporate propaganda, nothing more than appeals to fear and confusion, seeking to discredit the benefits of unions. You can be fired for not attending captive audience meetings. As far as domestic politicking is concerned, we have had the misfortune to witness the miscarriage of racial justice. My contrast of Kyle Rittenhouse and Trayvon Martin has been solidified in the full acquittal of Rittenhouse on all charges, including the dismissal of the valid charge of illegal possession of a firearm and the exclusion of relevant evidence by a clearly biased judge. In sum, one unarmed 17-year-old was posthumously vilified by the political right after being attacked and murdered by a vigilante for the crime of wearing a hoodie, while another 17-year-old was praised for killing two protesters and injuring a third with an assault rifle. His defense attorney, making an absolute mockery of mental illness, said he was glad his client shot and killed those men, one of whom, Joseph Rosenbaum, was, quote, crazy, having been hospitalized after a suicide attempt. He had, in fact, just been released from the hospital that day. He was on antidepressants and bipolar medication. Me and Rosenbaum have that in common, and I'm left wondering... Does that justify my murder as well? Speaking of court, there is some good news despite the Rittenhouse verdict. The three white men who stalked, attacked, and murdered Ahmaud Arbery were found guilty of this modern-day lynching. In Charlottesville, Virginia, white supremacists and neo-Nazis were found guilty of assault and battery and intentional infliction of emotional distress to the tune of $25 million, an amount the plaintiffs are not likely to recover in full, but a punitive amount sufficient enough to absolutely fuck Jason Kessler, and Richard Spencer, racists. Meanwhile, the outcry of conservative snowflakes over critical race theory and free speech in general has intensified. News reports of threats of book burning in Spotsylvania, Virginia, and banning of books in schools see Virginia's new governor, Glenn Youngkin, and legislation that actively prohibits the discussion of the lingering consequences of slavery all point to a new wave of blatant oppression aimed solely at protecting white supremacy. See Florida, Idaho, Arkansas, and Oklahoma, with Michigan, Tennessee, Texas, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Ohio, South Dakota, Arizona, Kentucky, Utah, and New Hampshire following suit to ban critical race theory explicitly, while Iowa, Louisiana, Maine, Missouri, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Wisconsin, and West Virginia are considering legislation to prohibit the teaching of, quote, divisive concepts. Tennessee, I am ashamed to say, has passed a bill outlining 14 topics not to be included in school curriculum. It should be noted that the Tennessee bill, Tennessee Code Annotated Title 49, Chapter 6, Part 10, reads part equal rights. It bans schools from teaching that one race or sex is superior to another. It is hard to argue with that wording, but it has a catch. 
As part of the, quote, both sides line of thinking, historic accounts of ethnic groups must be taught through, quote, impartial discussion. Impartial is a loaded word. Is it partial to say that black Americans were brought to this continent, this nation specifically, against their will? They were forced immigrants with no papers or rights to return to their country of origin? Is it partial to say that we are still facing the repercussions of this forced immigration? A court will decide, or an equally, quote, impartial jury. In the same vein, we have an instance of police officers offended by a poster on fascism at an Indiana high school, engaging in a heated exchange with a minor school student because they felt attacked by the poster, so, in turn, they behaved in a way that only reinforced the validity of said poster. They behaved like fascists. You just let that sink in. Officers, offended by a poster on fascism, behaved like fascists, at a public school no less, and having a student's project removed from view. In yet another instance, we have the organizers of the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville since convicted, going on racist rants as they mock the civil trial against them for conspiracy to commit hate crimes. The disparity between the two is depressing. On one side, a child intimidated by police for criticizing fascism, and on the other, grown men making racist jokes in court, all in the name of good fun. Americans convinced that the COVID vaccine has nanotechnology in it are bathing in borax, while those who refuse the vaccine claim they know better than the rest of us, while unvaccinated pregnant women are dying of COVID infections and complications at alarming rates, and the U.S. death toll from COVID surpassed 750,000. The disinformation is so widespread and its deadly consequences so common that there is a subreddit devoted to those who mock COVID measures and then die from it as a result. R slash Herman Cain Award doesn't mock these deaths, but serves as a sober public awareness. The similarities between all cases are incredible and tragic. Misinformation is killing Americans. This is what polarization looks like. While there are currently eight approved COVID vaccines available for free for the first world, poorer nations do not have such access and protection. This is fucked. We have a new COVID variant as of this writing, November 2021, Omicron news of which is all at once predictable, exhausting, and frightening. Our representatives are doing us no favors. The extent of Joe Manchin's wealth from coal plants has become a glaring red flag for his continued resistance to sustainable energy. Kirsten Sinema has shown herself to be a charlatan of a Democrat. She's obviously a Republican posing as a Democrat in order to block progressive legislation. At the same time, Paul Gosar, the Republican representative from Arizona's 4th District, has been censured for posting an absolutely absurd and rat-fucked video showing his superimposed face on an anime character severing the neck of a superimposed Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and then attacking a superimposed Biden. Republican Representative Lauren Boebert of Colorado posted a video on Facebook just last week, implying that Minnesota Rep. Ilan Omar had been mistaken for a terrorist in an elevator on Capitol Hill. You know, because Muslim and brown. Don't worry, it was just a joke. And like children, Republicans have taken to calling the collective of progressive black and brown representatives the Jihad Squad, because, you know, they're dangerous brown women. At the UN Climate Change Conference COP26 Climate Summit in Glasgow, Ireland, the poorest and most affected nations facing climate catastrophe were virtually excluded from participation through labyrinthine visa procedures, while major nations signed meaningless agreements that don't prevent against global temperature rise, putting the most vulnerable global citizens at risk of death from climate change. 
The justice system works quickly to acquit a white murderer while dragging its feet to hold those responsible for the January 6th coup accountable. For all of this, progress is being made. The GameStop frenzy has given way to non-fungible tokens and decentralized autonomous organizations, NFTs and DAOs, proving that Web 2.0 is actively evolving in an attempt to fuck up the status quo, online collectivism becoming a valid means of revolt. In India, after a year of protests, Prime Minister Narendra Modi has given in to farmers' demands to repeal three farm acts that hurt India's farmers. The Farmers' Produce and Trade Commerce Act, the Farmers' Agreement on Price Assurance and Farm Services Act, and the Essential Commodities Act. Starbucks worker unions are picking up steam and efforts and intensity are spreading from New York to Arizona. The effects of COVID-19 on national employment have created a wave of $15 an hour minimum wage jobs and legislation. Workers said, fuck this bullshit, and left corporations scrambling to attract workers, encouraging states and municipalities to pass $15 an hour legislation, despite such a bill failing to come across Biden's desk. Douchebags, assholes, and fuckwits abound in the top levels of corporate and political leadership, but this is not new. What is new are the desperate efforts to maintain these positions of power. Extreme gerrymandering and voter restrictions, corporate intimidation and retaliation against whistleblowers and activists suggest that the assholes at the top see the peasant class as a growing threat to their unchecked power. Where 2020 was a culmination of decades of incompetence, greed, and simmering conflicts between increasingly extreme factions of Americans, 2021 has been a year of reckoning for its consequences. 2022 will be a continued reckoning and heightened retaliation. Expect those in power and in effect their sycophantic followers to become ever more desperate to hold off inevitable change. Expect this to reach new heights as elections approach. Expect to see all the themes within Unfuck the Poor evolve in advance for both better and worse. All that said, at the heart of everything is animosity toward those with less. As we push for equitable shares of wealth and power, remember that a compromise of half measures is a win for those in power. It just kicks the can a little farther down the road. We can fight this by doing something every day. It doesn't have to be a public display of protest. It doesn't have to be attention-grabbing or even anything extreme. We can read. We can write. We can talk and support and organize. And we can back those who engage in the things we don't. That's free association. That's autonomy. Activism is as much an individual pursuit as a collective one. To understand a problem and discuss it is active resistance. It opens us up to a network of ideas and opportunities. Above all, it helps us learn and it helps us teach. To be able to speak effectively on social issues is the key to keeping those ideas alive. It's the key to building and maintaining a network of resistance. With constant threats to free speech and the batshit crazy notion that burning books destroys controversial ideas, Subversion can be as confrontational as disabling mining equipment or as passive as the proliferation of anti-establishment ideas to as helpful as providing aid to those in need. The important thing here is to identify where policy and leadership fail and to fill in the gaps with intelligent, meaningful action. So here's the kicker. You know how I made this whole book and all the bonus material free of charge with no catch? Well, there's a catch. If you found Unfuck the Poor useful, informative, relevant, entertaining, or whatever. I want you to share it and promote it wherever efforts to erase history or hide truth pop up. I mean, it's easy enough to read. The concepts 
are explained simply and the definitions are provided. And it's a good supplement to high school text. And it is exactly the kind of book I wish I'd found when I was 16 and struggling to follow a myriad of social issues. It's equally accessible to adults looking to dive a little deeper into the politics of money and for those seeking validation for their own suspicions of wealth and power, and hopefully for those looking for their own jumping off point in researching or understanding any of the issues therein. It's a perfect subversion to laws like those being passed in Tennessee and attempt to ban unpleasant histories from reaching young Americans. So please, share the book, share the podcast. Hell, I'll even start for you. I'm going to print this book and hide it in a library somewhere. Then I'm going to print another and leave it at a Starbucks. Then I'm going to print another, and another, and another. And I want you to do the same. Print it, email it, link it, share it. Consider this call to action your first foray into activism. Distributing a book is just challenging enough to be enjoyable and is a direct challenge to the growing calls for censorship of uncomfortable ideas. If you have ideas for Unfuck the Poor, whether a single essay for askaleftist.com or a topic for a whole-ass book, if you have questions or comments, feel free to share them. What's up next for Unfuck the Poor? I have no idea. I guess I'll have to write another book. <laughs>